Well, as you uh, take a seat, if you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. It has been my joy from afar to uh, keep up what's going on with North Lake and specifically your youth group. Uh, An answered prayer that the Lord uh, brought Alejandro to North Lake and uh, appreciate him and his ministry. Um, It's rare that a youth group would have a retreat and they would actually teach the Bible. It's rare that their Sundays and their Wednesdays, they actually open up the word and teach it. And uh, don't let that be lost. This is a beautiful thing. Uh, that the Lord has brought together, and we are very excited at Countryside. Uh, sad to see a number of you go, obviously, uh, except, you know, the Jennings. We were like, yay, no Jennings. Um, no, we weren't. We weren't. And I still see a lot of familiar faces and stuff like that, but glad to open up the word with you this morning. Uh, we are going to be talking about biblical friendship, and in your handy-dandy outline or notebook, there's an outline for you to take notes if you would like. Uh, My second and third lesson, I'll have a keynote for you so it's a little easier to follow along, but this one shouldn't be tough. We are looking at six characteristics of a biblical friendship. And when we talk about biblical, that's easy. It's, It's the Bible. And we know what God says is always right. We know that it's always true. And if I think something and the Bible says something different, I am always wrong. And the Bible is always right. So when we talk about absolute truth, when we talk about God, we go to his word and we say, what does his word say? And because I love Jesus, I'm just going to do what his word says. And if you listen to these lessons and you say, you know what? I don't want to do that. Well, that is a warning sign. That's a red flag that you're not in Christ and you need to repent and believe. But when it comes to the word friend, it's used... Uh, a number of times throughout the Bible, sometimes it's used as kind of a, a business relationship, kind of a casual companion. Like in Matthew twenty thirteen, it says, he answered to one of them and said, friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? It was a business transaction. And so he, that's how he used the word friend. Other times it's used in a more special and meaningful way. And that's more what we're talking about this weekend. John 15, 12 through 15, you can just listen along. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, keep in mind, this is Jesus talking. And he is saying, if you really are my follower, if you're really my friend, then you obey my commands. That doesn't, you, don't try that today with the rest of your friends. All right, you are my friend. If you, this is Jesus saying, but what he is saying is there's a special relationship between us and Jesus now. We are slaves. We are doulos, right? We are slaves. But in that, we're also his friend. And it's a beautiful relationship. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So when we talk about friends, we're talking about beloved one. We're talking about special one. And I want to ask you, all right, and this is where you interact, why do you want friends? 
Okay, to keep you accountable. I don't know if that's the first one on your bingo card when you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, are you a bonish? Yes. Ha! All right. Can I, y'all have grown a little bit since then. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't, I don't, well, you know, your brother, your dad is good friends with my brother. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if that, that's a great thing, but I don't know if you wake up in the morning and you say, man, I really hope I see some friends today because I want someone to keep me accountable. Yeah, I want their approval, their advice, their help. Yeah, someone, you ever play Frisbee by yourself? It's kind of boring, right? So you want someone to share life experiences with. Yes. Someone to talk to. Someone to talk to, yeah. Someone that you have things in common with. Yeah, you want someone you have something in common with. Look to play stuff with, to do things with, to hang out with, to talk with. What are you going to say? So that you're not lonely all the time? Not lonely all the time. And you came up with the bed solution. So that was excellent, Taylor. I appreciate that. All right. Yeah. So that, that, that's why we want friends. Okay. It, it's a normal thing to want friends. And I want us to think of, is that why you really want them? Why should you want them? Sometimes we just want someone because we need someone to do something for us. Sometimes we kind of use and abuse people and, hey, I'll hang out with you because all my other friends are out of town. Or, hey, I showed up to youth this Wednesday and my normal friends aren't here, but you're here. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk with you. Uh, the world has a very selfish view of friends. It's like that we are leeches. We, we need something, so we attach onto people and we suck. We, we are a sponge, Right? Instead, we should be giving. I have friends because, yes, they hold me accountable. Yes, they'll give me advice. But I have friends to help them, and they help me, and we build up one another. And I live for Jesus, and they live for Jesus, and it makes life easier. Makes life easier. This is a, a special topic for myself because when I was, you know, growing up, I came to the Lord around fifth grade over at First Baptist Grapevine and uh, came to Countryside in middle school. And I didn't have quite the same upbringing as some of you. I could choose whether I went to church or not. You know, my family wasn't that involved with those types of things. But I, I, the Lord, through his grace and his mercy, brought lots of really solid Christian friends into my life. And if I didn't show up, they, they confronted me. And if I got off the path, they brought me back. And we all kind of worked through that together. And we had a blast in high school. Had a blast. But we came to church every Sunday. And we came to church every Wednesday. And we went on mission trips. And we prayed for one another. And those connections and those relationships have carried on. And it is very difficult to live in this world for Christ, is it not? Why would I want to do that alone? Why would I want to do it alone? Well, I, I, I don't, so I, I need companions. But our second lesson this evening, we're going to talk about bad friendships. If it's hard enough to put off sin and put on righteousness, why would I take anchors and put them on myself? Why would I accrue bad friends that are going to give me bad advice and model bad things? Look, I, I'm, I'm good enough at sinning on my own. I don't need other people whispering temptations and sinful things in my ear, right? 
So how do I handle that? What do I do with those types of things? So we are looking at characteristics of a biblical friendship with this lesson. What does it look like to be a good friend? All right, and, and you tell me, you did a great job interacting, all right? What, when you think of, right, you're in the little avatar creator and you're creating the perfect friend. What does that perfect friend look like? And you don't, don't get specific. Don't say it looks like everything but Nahum, okay? That would you know, kind of be heartbreaking, okay? All right, what do we got? Yes. Someone that gets good advice. Someone who's kind. Yeah, they're kind. Someone who's fun to be around. Fun to be around. Someone who loves you in a desperate time of need. Yeah, they're there for you in a time of need. I love that. Someone that sits with you no matter what. Yeah. It's important, right? They're not going to bail on you, Taylor? Someone that will just be your friend even if you weird them out sometimes. Yeah, there you go. And some of y'all are kind of weird, so you need that, right? <laughs> Someone who doesn't lead you off a good path. Absolutely. Someone you can relate to. Mm-hmm. Kind, loving, sacrificing. Someone who can tolerate you when you're not Yeah, we need that, don't we? Absolutely. That's the kind of friend we want. Now, none of you said the most beautiful. None of you said the most athletic. All right. None of you said the, the, the smartest or the richest or whatever it is, but let's just be honest, okay? A lot of middle school and high schoolers, that's how they pick who they want. Man, this person's so popular, if I can get in their sphere, all right, they will, they will propel me to McCullough-level popularity, okay? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm going for. Hey, they got a really nice car, and if I hang out with them, then I get a ride in their car. You know, when we all started turning 16, you know who the most popular kid was? The one who had been held back and got his license in July. Because he was the only dude that could drive, and what do you know? He had friends coming out his ears. We need to see what the Bible says, and then that's how we want to choose our friends. But on the other side, what kind of friend are you? You think of Jesus, and he often offers himself as a model, right? Jesus was the perfect friend, even willing to give up his life for others. Are you that loving? Are you that kind? Are you taking care of your personal time in the word and are you praying not just for your own growth but so that you have something to give others? These are all things that we need to think of and we need to consider. And uh, it might not be the first place you would gravitate towards but we are gonna go through 1 Samuel 18 to learn about biblical friendship because this is the relationship with Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. And I'm actually gonna start in chapter 17, in verse 36. 17, verse 36. David says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Well, we know what's happening here. This is David and Goliath. David was not your typical, well, he was back then, he was your typical teenager, but he's not your typical teenager now, all right? You get asked to take the trash out, and you're like, oh, all right? He's out shepherding the flock in the wilderness, 
all right? And so when it's go time and he goes to visit his older brothers and he sees this behemoth of a man taunting God, he says, "Uh uh-uh, not in my house. I'll kill that dude. Everyone else was afraid and scared, but David said, by the power of the Lord, I will destroy Goliath for the Lord. And then he did it. And he did it. And you know who's watching this is Saul's son, heir apparent, Jonathan. And he immediately is knit together in love with David. Right? So that's number one, knit together in love. The the world has looked at this and corrupted this. And some will even use this relationship with David and Saul to promote homosexuality. And that is a a deviation from the reality of what's happening in this context, right? But their friendship was so deep. Chapter 18, it came about when he had finished speaking uh, to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Beautiful. Jonathan didn't look at David just because he was a hero. He looked at him because Jonathan loved the Lord, David loved the Lord, and David stood up and did something, and Jonathan right then was immediately connected. When we say this word knit, I don't think you do a lot of knitting, okay? Uh, My daughter Tatum, my family's coming uh, to the the later session. Uh, She got these little crochet kits, all right? And if you know me, I'm all about crocheting. I don't know anything about crocheting. But she, did, she just does those things. Well, knitting, you get the idea. Well, think of it like super glue. Adhering to. And David and Jonathan were connected to each other. And I just want you to think through, who are you intimately connected with? Who are you intertwined with? If the answer is no one, well, we need to change that. You, you need friends. You need that companionship. If the answer is someone that encourages you to sin that pushes you away from Jesus, well, we need to change those relationships, but here we have a positive one. Who should you be knit to? Colossians 2, Paul writes, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those that are at Laodicea. Paul says, I am working for you, and I'm working for those that are at Laodicea. For all those who have not personally seen my face. Whoa, wait. There's people that Paul loved and that he sacrificed for and he worked for even though he had never seen their face. Would you do that? Do you do that for a stranger, someone you don't even know? Well, why does Paul do that? He says that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom all things are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, there's a common bond there. There's a common bond there. There is a knitting together in love. We should be knit together in love with all those who possess the same eternal life. Because you do know that we have been all placed in the same body by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have repented and believed in Jesus, you have died to old self, you have been raised anew, you have received the Holy Spirit, and you are now one with the body of Christ. And so any Christian 
you are connected to. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to have everybody, you don't have to rotate everybody over coming over for sleepovers and stuff. But if you're a Christian, you, friends, it doesn't matter your schooling preference. It doesn't matter if you like sports and you like band. It doesn't matter if you like Star Wars and you like Pokemon or whatever it is the kids are into these days, all right? There's a commonality. And sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends at youth group. You don't. Why is that? Well, no one has anything in common with me. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not true. We'll break that lie down in a moment. But you, I'm like, you're saying you don't love Jesus? Oh, no, no, well, no, I love Jesus. They love Jesus. Nothing there, huh? Nothing there. Now, this is not a pickup line, guys. Hey, baby, you love Jesus, I love Jesus, let's be knit together. That's not where we're going on this, okay? That is not where we're going, okay? Strike that one from the record. Some of you are already writing it down. Stop it. Do not do that. But it doesn't matter, all right? Sixth grader, high schooler, you can have that casual friendship in a, in a sense, and there's that love and that welfare, and I want what's best for them, and I want to pray for them. But then, yes, we, we do have friends that naturally are closer together, and we'll, we'll talk about that. How are you to be knit to them specifically in love? A friend, Proverbs seventeen seventeen, loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Sometimes your brother will just show up when you're in trouble. But a friend is always there. Through thick and through thin. Through the highs and through the lows. That's what a friend is. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Let's just take that right there. Apply that to your friendships. Even this morning. When you got into that car, shotgun. It's always calling shotgun. I hate that. Didn't even start out on the right way. Hey, you know what? Would you like the front seat? What? (laughs) Kind. Not jealous. Patient. Are you patient with your friends? When they don't do what you want the way you want them, do you just kick them from the party and move on with your squad? It's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Woo-hoo-hoo. I had high schoolers. Middle school camp, something happened. And they held on to that baby through the senior year. Why do you want to be in their group? Well, because in seventh grade, please do not judge me what I was like in seventh grade. We grow, there's maturity, there's forgiveness. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Being a friend doesn't mean that you just accept everything. It doesn't mean that you accept sin. There's a point where that friendship is, no, I'm not gonna watch that with you. I'm not gonna joke like that with you. I'm not gonna participate in that with you. But it rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But whatever the world holds in high esteem, it'll be done away with, but the friendship, that love will be there. And most often you see 1 Corinthians read at 
I know you don't pay attention, but you do at weddings. But it's not just a wedding passage. It's not just a wedding passage. This is what your relationship actually should be with everyone. This is the love you should even have for your enemies. But you definitely should have this with your friends knit together in love. Well, how did this play out in the lives of Jonathan and David? Remember, I opened with John 15. And Jesus said, a good friend will lay down his life. Jonathan put his life on the line for David. That's what it is. Guys, you won't even give up your seat for someone. You won't even let them cut in line when it's lunchtime. That's what love is. If you love God, you love God's people, and that's what a good friend is. This, is. this is your starting point. I know you're looking at your clock and you're getting a little scared, all right? There's six to go. You've only got through one. This is, this is the starting point there, okay? If you're not a Christian, you know what you don't have? You don't have the ability to love. So you do not have the ability to love as a friend should. But as a Christian, you all have this, and you're commanded to it. Well, number one, knit together in love. Two, devoted Devoted. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. When we talk about devoted, it means to give or apply one's time, attention, or self entirely to a particular activity, pursuit, cause, or person. Right? Imagine if you have someone that's your friend, but they'll never call you back. Imagine if you have a friend, but they never invite you over. Imagine if you have a friend and they never talk to you. What are they? They're not a friend. Do you treat people like that? And, and I'm not saying that you're so devoted to everyone that when you have that birthday party, you have to invite all of North Lake Bible Church to that birthday party. It is just not going to happen, right? But there is that devotion. I got your back. You got my back, all right? The greatest movie series of all time, and it is written in law, all right? It's not quite, didn't make scripture. To be clear, this is... Me, the fellowship of the ring. All right? Amen, right? Okay, some of you are shaking your heads no. You Star Wars geeks. Um, <laughs> Samwise and Frodo. I'm just going to throw it out there. They're, they're wonderful biblical illustrations. Jonathan and David, boom, right? Samwise and Frodo. So much that Samwise was willing to walk into that river and die just to be with Frodo. There were other boats on the bank, man. Get in a boat and go across the water and follow. I don't know why, but he did. He was willing to go to Mordor and back or just Mordor to be with his friend Frodo. What about you and your friends? Do you only talk to them when it's convenient? When you're lonely, when your other friends aren't around, do you talk bad about them when they're not looking? There is a commitment with friendship. There's a commitment, there's a devotion. Friends can waver in their devotion to their other friends because of selfishness. And I've known friends that have jumped from group to group to group because they're looking to climb the ladder. Look, when you get in college, doesn't matter. And then you get old one day and you all look the same and stuff like that. It definitely didn't matter who's the most popular in high school. But you will sell your friend down the river for a bump in social status. And it can't be that way. You need to be devoted to one another. Devoted. Now, I will say this, and we'll get into these things. There are times 
that you're really connected with someone and you have great interest level, but over time, you all just kind of grow apart and you like different things. That, that's okay. That's all right, but you still have that love and that common bond with one another in those things, all right? Number three, self-sacrificing. Self-sacrificing. You know, in Romans 12, 1, we are to offer up ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice to God. You remember the whole little lamb that they would bring up and they would slaughter the lamb and they would kill the bull and all of those things. We're saying, that's me. For the benefit of you and for the benefit of you and for the benefit of you, I'm the, I'm the offering. Slay me so that you may grow, so that you may benefit. Paul's life was a sacrifice. Philippians 2.17, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Rejoice and share with my, my joy with all of you. Paul had a life devoted to other people. He would roll into town. He would preach the gospel. He would get connected with people. He would establish a church. He'd get run out of town. And he still loved those people. He would get beat. He would get stoned. He would get whipped. We still love those people, and that's why he did it. Guys, what are you willing to give up for your friends? I hope it's your time. We think of our prayer life as something individualistic. Do you pray for your friends? Sacrificing that time? It's not only the best thing for you personally, but it's also the best thing for your friends. You get all those small group requests on a Wednesday night, and yeah, 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 yeah I'm going to pray for you. And then you fold that baby up, and you don't even come back to it. Hmm. I want you to think today you're going to get lots of opportunities to sacrifice your wants, wishes, and desires for the greater good of the people that are here. It might be there's someone new here that's not quite connected. It might be someone who's had a hard time and they're feeling a little bit out of place. Sacrifice self for them. And how were Jonathan and David willing to do this? Look at verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all those people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. What is, what do you, self sac Okay, well, he gave the robe, right? Who was supposed to be king? The way it worked back then was when the old man died, the son got the throne. What Jonathan recognize? Nope, it's his. Imagine how hard that would be, all right? Your dad builds a billion dollar company. And money, 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 yeah. But you say, no, God, it's meant for him to take it over and I'm not in. People don't do that. Kings don't do that. You know when a new king took over what they would do? They would go slaughter all the other people. So there was no competition. I took a, a history of Latin America class at Texas Tech. And Alejandro mentioned I, I majored in history. Now, why is that? Uh, I wanted to be a teacher while I studied to be a pastor. And uh, I'm not any good at math. And I don't like science. And I don't like writing papers. So math, science, and English are boom. They're out. What was left? PE. <sighs> can do that one. But they told me there ain't no PE jobs because when someone gets a PE job and it's a good one, they stay until they die. There's only one PE teacher at each school. History, that's it. You think of life decisions and choices 
I chose history as process of what was the least worst thing. And I liked it, but I took the history of uh, Latin America. And you know what it was? This guy came to power. He killed everyone. This guy overthrew him. He killed everyone. This guy came to power. He killed everyone. It's like, oh, oh. Jonathan says, God's plan. He knew, and we don't have time to walk through all of the, the verses and the relationships and things like that. He knew that David was supposed to be the king. And he was not going to get in God's way. And he was the best wingman, hype man you could ever imagine. Can you be that devoted to your friends? That what is yours, that you're willing to give that up to them? Can you be that self-sacrificing to them? First Samuel 20 walks through how Jonathan was willing to sacrifice his future glory for David. But you know what David was willing to do? David, in 1 Samuel 20, go there real quick. We will look at that. Let's look at verse 12. It says, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow. Remember that whole thing where David was trying, heard Saul wanted to kill him? And Jonathan's like, I don't know if he wants to kill you and let me help you and let's kind of sort through this so we figure out if he wants to kill you. He says, when I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, there is good feeling toward David. Shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan more also. If I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? David, you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of his enemies of the house of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David and said, but the Lord required at the hands of David's enemy. Jonathan made a vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Jonathan's like, hey, don't kill my family when you take over the throne. And David's like, no way, not gonna do it. And then you remember who is the, the grandson of Saul that David protects and nourishes? Mephibosheth, remember the guy with the crippled feet, okay? Even the other descendants, David went above and beyond not to wipe them out. They kind of wiped themselves out with, with their own you know, sinfulness and choices there. David was willing to, to sacrifice for Jonathan and Jonathan for David. Number four, mediating. Mediating. And this goes back to that same story I was talking about in, in 1 Samuel 19. It says, now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to his father. And we, again, you get the idea, right? And this is the whole, you know, you got the arrows and the shooting and those types of things, that story. Well, Saul very easily could have gotten mad at Jonathan and killed Jonathan. That's how he was. But Jonathan was more than willing to put his life on the line. What scenario can you think of with your own relationship? Whether someone's having a difficult time with their parents or they're having a difficult time with a teacher or someone at school 
are you willing to kind of bridge that gap and be a mediator, all right? And you understand what that is, right? Jesus is the perfect mediator, wrathful God, sinful man, and he died in order to bring us, right? So let's say that you have a friend. This would never happen with the girls, so let me use the guy as an example, okay? Um, one of you said something about one of you who said something about one of you and one of you and one of you. And so guy A is upset with guy D, and they're not talking to each other. I don't want to get involved in your business. But as a friend, if I can go to one and say, hey, look, can we talk through this? Can I get you guys together? Well, they don't want to talk to me. Well, I, they do. I just talk to them. They want to talk to you. Oh, hey, do you want to talk? Well, he doesn't want to talk to me. Well, no, he, he wants to talk to you. Okay, you see what I'm talking about? And that's what a friend does because we make mistakes. We make sinful choices. We do dumb things at this age. Just surprise, right? And we regret them, but we don't always verbalize that. We don't always say it. We don't always seek that reconciliation. You know, kind of a, a, a funny extreme story of that is when I was in Lubbock, uh, my buddy Kirk and I, and we had been friends since I think like first grade, right? We were playing in a church basketball league. And it was one of those church basketball leagues where everyone was unsaved except for like me and Kirk. So it was like take off your skate and stab someone type intense. And there was this guy who he played college basketball, but I took the ball and I pump faked and he jumped like 30 feet in the air. And I'm like, I can only jump this high. But I pumped and he jumped and I went up and I made the layup and he landed on me. Well, who do you think would be upset in that situation? Me, right? He landed on my head and I, I shot a free throw. No, 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 no. Apparently that's, that guy was mad at me. And that dude's arms were giant. All right, they were giant. And he is upset at me, and da, da, da. they kicked him out of the game. But he didn't leave. He sat at the end of the court, and the rest of the game, he goes, you and me, after. And I'm like, what? For, I didn't help things. I'm like, what, for you fouling me? You and me, after the game. And I'm like, okay. Well, my buddy Kirk, bless his heart, said, Kirk, will you go talk to him? He's mad at me. He's not going to listen to me. Kirk went. Kirk went and talked to the guy. And he came back and he says, it's no hope. He's going to jump you after the game. <laughs> so after the game, I thought my whole team would walk out together, right, to protect me. They're gone. I'm changing my basketball shoes. They're gone. And Kirk goes, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, you're no help in a fight. I want you to go get the car and pull it around front. Sure enough, I went downstairs. The guy jumped me, hit me in the top of my head, which is the hardest part of your body. I was like, thank you. I threw him on the ground, hopped in Kirk's truck, and we were gone. We were gone. At least he was there to, to stick his neck out for me. And it might be that you're upset with the parents. And even that mediation is your friend saying, hey, look, hey, they're your parent. They love you. They love you. Let's go to God's word. It could be that your issue is with God. And they need to say, hey, look, I know you're upset with God because this happened. But remember, God is right and God is faithful. And so that's what a, that's what a good friend does. When um, we were in school, we had something called peer mediation, where when there was an issue with people at school, they would come to a peer. It was a terrible idea. <laughs> you got two pagan people sitting together with a pagan person trying to sort through something, and none of them wanted to hear it. But mediation between Christians is a good thing. Number five, encouraging. Encouraging. And we're going to flip over to 1 Samuel 23. 
Normally when I, when I teach a lesson, I have a passage and I just teach through that passage. This is kind of a section that I'm summarizing. And even the, tonight and tomorrow, they're more kind of a selected scripture type thing, but they're passages we'll walk through. First, Samuel 23, verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David Horish and encouraged him in God. Isn't that a, a time to be encouraged? The king wants you dead. So he went out and encouraged him. And I encouraged him. He said, do not be afraid because of the hand of Saul, my father will not find you and you will be king over Israel. How does he know that? Because God promised him. And Jonathan knew that what God promised, it happens. He says, I will be next to you. Now that part didn't happen because Jonathan died, right? But what he's saying is, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. He says, and Saul, my father, knows that all of them. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan was, went to his house. Any of y'all gone through any difficulties this past year? You had a loved one died. You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe parents going through a rough patch, divorce, dad loses the job. Maybe you have to move. Maybe you didn't make that team you wanted to. It's tough. And I know that I'm to consider it all joy, my brethren, when I encounter various trials. I know that the testing of my faith produces endurance, right? I know James 1. I got it. But you know what I need? When someone comes up and puts their hand on my shoulder and they say the same thing. Or I'm praying for you. And now it is so easy. It is so easy. You don't even have to call them on the phone. You can just shoot them a text. Not saying that it's all you should do, but just saying, hey, praying for you today. Hope your time in the word went well. Taking those, the, hey, that, what you shared last night, I'm praying for that. So many ways you can do that. Encouraging them, building them up. Lastly, the sixth one is God-centered. God-centered. You think of the sun, you think of the planets. Whether there's nine or eight, I don't know. Uh, someone told me once Pluto was a planet, and I'm like, okay, I thought he was a dog. But I have no scientific evidence, but I will, till my dying day, believe that Pluto is a planet because someone told me that, okay? Sun's in the middle, and they all go around it. You and your friend, it's not baseball, it's not football, it's not music, it's not video games. The thing that combines you, and I loved what you're praying about when you're closing with music. I grow closer to God, you grow closer to God, and what does that do to us? We, we grow closer together. And everything we do and everything we say and our time and our efforts, the connections that are there, it's God-centered. So I had a, a really good friend and we played football together and uh, we lifted together and stuff like that. But you know what we were doing when we were lifting? We were looking for opportunities to share the gospel. So we got, we got put with this one guy who was Hindu and he was our lifting group. And what do you know? We just casually started talking about the gospel with each other. So then we could say, hey, Gunn, what do you think about this? Well, it's intimidating to share the gospel, right? So he and I just started talking together, and the guy was listening, and we knew it, okay? But we weren't there just to get bigger, faster, stronger. We wanted our life to be saturated with the gospel and the things that we need to do there. My challenge to you is, and this is, that means conclusion, Right? We're writing down implications or applications or whatever the kids are calling it these days. 
be the type of friend that displays these six characteristics. Stop worrying about who else in this room is displaying this and start worrying about you. I want you to have these friends. These are the friends that you should elevate and you should seek after, no matter what schooling preference or where they live. Those are the friends you should want. But what about you? Are you going to dedicate your life to what the word of God says so that you can do this? In counseling, when someone comes in and says, but my dad, and I say, look, I don't, your dad ain't in this chair right now. You are. How are you supposed to respond to that? You're in the chair. Here they are right now. Is this going to be you? If it's not you, then I'm telling you, you're not in Christ. The wrath of God will be poured out upon you unless you repent and believe in Jesus because this is what a Christian does. Knowing that we're still growing in our sanctification. And I hope this winter retreat, you're a better friend than you were last winter retreat because that's how Christianity works. And I hope that I'm a better friend than the type of friend I was in high school. Because that was a really, really long time ago. <laughs> Secondly, beware of those friends who direct you away from biblical friendship and towards evil. Beware of those friends. And that's what we're gonna talk about this evening. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you ultimately are the perfect friend. And we see how Jesus interacts and loves and sacrifices, and it gives us a model that we should strive to duplicate in our own relationships. I pray for these young men and women that they would love you, that they would serve you, and in doing so, they would have incredible friendships that push them towards Jesus and push them away from sin. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.